0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Blame It on the VR podcast. I'm your host, Yusuf, and today I'm joined by uh, three scousers. So, first of all, we've got Tom.
1: What's going on, lads? We've got Adam. Hello.
0: And um, we've got Chris. All right. Okay, so we've had a, a pretty eventful weekend of Premier League action, then some interesting results in the Champions League. We'll start off with Saturday's Spurs and City, and it was... A typical Mourinho performance, you know, the kind of one you just associate with classic Mourinho. Spurs, like three shots all game, I think it was, but they just—they City couldn't get anything done. They couldn't finish, and Spurs just killed them in transition. And Tom, what was what was your thoughts on that game, and like what it means for Spurs as title challengers?
1: I think when it comes to Spurs, um, nobody thought they'd be doing this well at the start of the season because we heard a lot of talk about Mourinho's tactics being outdated. They—they brought in Bale as a, as a old Tottenham player. And there was a lot of talk about them going backwards instead of forwards, but I always had the belief in Mourinho to pull out results like these, like this and against city, because that's just typical Mourinho. And it, it seems like he's back to his shithousery his his best as it was about six years ago. So I think it's, it's, it's promising for Tottenham to have a manager like him and to have the players believe in a manager like him. So I think that that bodes well for the future.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think Spurs just seemed perfect for Mourinho to take over. Now, when I look back, Mourinho is destined for to take over a team that are ready to win, obviously make his own little additions to the squad. But when a squad is ready to win, but just needs to take that next step, Mourinho's your guy. And Spurs, Poch put them in a position where they were ready to win, but they just needed that next step. Mourinho has taken Good. it. He's obviously, he's made signings too, so... He's added Hojdieg, who is has done a really good job. He's one of the bargains of the summer, it seems. He, uh, he offers leadership in the field, too. He's signed for a guy who's fantastic. And you know what, the Bale signing, I don't think Bale's even close to the player he was at his prime, but if you look at the kind of importance of some of the goals he scored in Madrid, you need players like that if you want to win trophies, players who can kind of step up in a crucial moment. And he seems to be getting the best out of Caden Son. So it really seems like Spurs are flying right now. And Adam, do you really think that they can keep this up and actually do the very thing we've s- seen for years? It's just Spurs. They can't do it.
2: I think because I think that there has to be a, and I think there is starting to be a mentality change with Spurs um, because Spurs, um, under, especially under like Pochettino, they always had this, the players always had this little bit of a nasty streak in them, but it wasn't, an, it wasn't the... The nasty streak in the way to sort of try and win games. It was in response to things not going their way. Um, Musa Dambelli and Eric Lamello were probably the worst for it. But now you're starting to see he's sort of instilling this siege mentality into the team. Um, And another thing which I think is really helping Spurs is the playing. To a lot of the squad strengths, um, and but also, and I, I think, I think what we're seeing is a difference with what how it sort of went for Mourinho at United to how it went, how it's going at Spurs because it, with Mourinho at United, he was he was backed financially, but the players that were brought in probably you probably only say the likes of, and. Lukaku were Mourinho's players, and um, because a player such as the likes of Pogba was a very, it was a big, big move for the image of Manchester United, as well as a, uh, a borderline world class player. But for most of his time at United, he was playing Ashley Young and Valen- um, Antonio Valencia uh, as fullbacks. When he's been a, he's not, he wasn't even at Spurs for a full season. And they've already brought in Matt Doherty and, and one of one of which was probably one of the best left backs in La Liga last season. And Doherty, he is defensively suspect, but has been—you cannot fault how good of a player he is going forward. And the fact that as Seamus Coleman started to go out, I can't—I think Ireland have sort of got a brilliant right back to step into that void. Um, but getting a little bit off topic, but anyway, because he's been backed in the areas he needs players, I think you you could see him getting back to his wife and not just having to try and patchwork. Which, as you, you're you're a United fan, you'll probably agree that for him, the points that he got in 1718 with that defence, I know De Gea played a big part. Of, but to get the points and the defensive record he had, that team was remarkable. And it just shows now he's being backed with defensive players. He, he's he's
1: showing he's still got it. Well, yeah, it I remember. Spurs, sorry to cut you off, sorry, but when sorry, it comes Trump's to Spurs, they, they've got a team that's full of winners now. You've got, you've got a three time back to back Champions League winner in, in Gareth Bale joining the locker room. And even if he doesn't perform, to the standards that he did in Madrid back at Spurs, he's, he's still going to be that guy in the changing room to instill that winning belief, along with the winning manager in Mourinho. It's, it's, it's going to completely change the mentality of the players, and you can see that on the pitch as well.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I didn't actually, I wanted, I wanted to focus on that mentality. I you want to say something about it, but that winning mentality is crucial to winning trophies. And I think there was one quote by Pochettino where he said he doesn't like, the idea of winning a cup, he said he doesn't want to bring ego into his dressing room. But one thing about Mourinho, I think we all know about Mourinho's ego, but ego, you need an ego to be a winner, in my opinion. And Mourinho's got that fantastic winning mentality. And I saw one person say, um, Lies over on the whole Lot of Mid podcast, he said uh, he doesn't think Mourinho's tactics right. He, did. he said his man management was outdated, but he's, you know, the modern footballer is different to players 10 years ago in terms of the way they are, but he's changed now, and Spurs are really responding well to him, and like Adam said, he's been backed with his players, I think Pogba and Mourinho, like okay, I'd say Pogba was definitely a world-class player at the time, Pogba and Mourinho, they could have worked together, but I just, I think they were too similar Uh, I think they worked together at first but eventually it kind of just went south, and it's a great shame because it had real potential, but you know, again, Lukaku, Matic, when were your but 2017-18, Mourinho was begging for Alderweireld. Uh, you know, I, I've heard that the club actually lied to Mourinho's face and told him they submitted a bid for Alderweireld. He was available for, you know, not so much considering his quality. And it just, I, I think at that time, I'll, at the start of 17-18, Alderweireld was probably the best centre-back in the league. And, okay, I know you guys are going to, you guys are probably going to storm me now, because obviously I've Van Dijk was about to join you. He also January, but at that time, I think Alderweireld was the best. And it just makes me think: like, what if we got Alderweireld in seventeen eighteen? What if we had a world class defender in that back line which already conceded so a few goals? Like, what, what could have been?
2: I mean, I and um, it's one of those with that season, any other season United. United could have that could have been United's title. And I just yes. think part of the reason was how good City were, but the fact that United done that well with the defence—that how many? What was it? Phil Jones was given thirty. Phil Jones, Chris Smalling,
0: you know, Eric Byin played some games.
2: Yeah, and um, and it's like I think when you look at that, and yeah, De Gea did bail out that defence a lot, but it's still that's only a part of it. Mourinho's organisation is how he instils this siege mentality and the only manager, in my opinion, that compares to to Mourinho for this is Simeone and it's just, it's how, it doesn't matter who's playing, it's just it's how it's, everything is organised, there is always a plan, there's always a fallback plan, if that doesn't work then he will have something else to do. And he's always, he's so aware of what's going on. And the fact that when he when he scores a goal, he's never happy. It's not the one goal that he wants, he wants the two. And yeah, it's... Because uh, I think that it shows a big difference between what you see in the more... Uh, um more I don't, I don't think defensive is the right word because um these managers with siege mentalities do so well whilst brexit football managers don't do so well is because that they plan to play for these these leads which make it difficult for the opposition and what what Mourinho's. Doing with doing done with United, and he's doing with Spurs now. He's he's playing the long game of
1: the. It's controlled yeah. chaos, isn't it? You, yeah. you can see that with uh, with the way that Tottenham's playing. It's oh yeah, The way of being solid as well as being a threat yeah. offensively and you saw that in a game against uh man city on the weekend with the with the 2-0 they, they did not look like scoring and many of the chances they've had it's just get the ball booted down and then wait for an opportunity i think the patient cool. the patience in there was very very key but it was controlled chaos off the ball i think that made it difficult yeah. for city in the long run yeah. and i think and when it, it comes also. to
0: when it when it comes to big games especially like you say it's players guys like mario and ciliani always do love this you know, I, I generally, there might not be a better big game manager in the Premier League than Jose Mourinho. When you, just, you look at his record through history and the reason, like, he's been so successful in Europe, he's been so successful in com- competitions, it's that mentality and just, he's so forensic in the way he does. He plans in so much detail. He has a plan, he has a backup plan, he is always prepared. He is always pretty prepared. And actually, back to some United 17-18, not only did we have such a good defensive record, that's actually the most goals we've scored in a season Ever since Sir Alex Ferguson, so yeah,
2: yeah, it's um, something that I think people get. Deeps Mourinho and Simeone have this, because um, I keep bringing in Simeone because it is they are two very similar managers, and it's this perception of anti-football. But if you actually watch the, um a Mourinho or Simeone team off-ball, the ball and they will even throw in Conte, it's the but the play with the ball is slick. It's it's purposeful it's not hoofball it's put it's very everything has a purpose but it's not just throwing throwing stuff at the wall hoping it'll stick and the the fact that when and what this does is, is in smaller game in games where teams will sit back and try and do what they do to other teams it ends up falling falling apart for the opposition because if United a Mourinho or Simeone or even um or similar managers can play with or without the ball. And that what mate that's what makes them so so good at getting getting these amount of goals in. Yeah,
0: and you know what, for a self-proclaimed defec- for
2: not a self but for a
0: proclaimed defensive manager, Mourinho actually holds the record for the most goals scored in the season. Yeah in a top five league for a team Real you, Madrid 11, at, He coaches transitions
2: so well. You look at the play you look at the, the goal goal scoring records of the centre forwards. Um he, like Ronaldo, Benzema, Ibrahimovic, um Eto, um either Ali can throw the likes of Lukaku in there and as it's looking at the minute, soft and Kane's not getting the goals that he used to get. But it's all around Kane's all around gate. When you looked, um, go, you have to go back two years ago, you'd probably consider Kane to be one of the most selfish players in the Premier League. The, the whole thing with the Harry claim or the thing with the World Cup and all that. But he's a completely different player now. And he's both creating and... he's. Probably Spurs is most create the biggest creative threat. Harry Kane and um, he, he gets stuff out forwards, and it's it, it's you've only got to just look at his record with his yeah. with his forwards.
0: His, his playmaking is the best of any centre forward on the planet, possibly. But yeah, Spurs look they're a really great threat and. You know, we're going to have to watch out for them. And, you know, what I think, obviously you're looking for, I think Spurs and Liverpool will be a really interesting game to watch this season. You've got Klopp's real kind of high-pressing sides, although he'll have to play without some of his best players, and Mourinho, who is one of the best at coaching attacking transitions and kind of shutting things out. But um, now let's talk about, uh, about Spurs' opponents. And Chris, like, City have had a really suspect Big Six record over the last year or so. And well, what do you make of that?
3: I think they just, they get frustrated against sides when they stand firm. And I think Pep, I mean, he said it, he, he has said that he doesn't really coach tackling, he doesn't think about the defensive side of the game as much. And I think he's focusing on, you know, in possession, that City team, you could argue the best in the world, but out of possession, I don't think they have the same agency as a lot of teams, such as, you know, your Liverpool's, you're talking right now. Um, so I think. Oh, fuck. I've lost my words completely. It's all good, fella.
2: Uh, can I chime in here? Because I was going to because you mentioned something about they've up the urgency of other teams. Um, I think because something, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but when a Guardiola team, because. It, Guardiola's defensive um policy almost boils down to if they don't have the ball, they can't hurt us. If we have the ball, they can't hurt us. And if we lose the ball, if we win it back quickly, they can't hurt us. But you don't but,
1: see a Guardiola team winning the ball back quickly, is Yeah, you?
2: but what I would say is though, is because if you look at seventeen eighteen and eighteen nineteen, exactly. they were
1: brilliant. They were
2: brilliant at winning the ball back but yeah, we've had in, the premier league has had a lot more managers who were more willing to embrace a pressing game. um you look at Leicester with brendan rogers, everton with um marco silva, um nuno with wolves, um there's there's been a more more prevalence of a pressing Game within the within the Premier League, and naturally, I think teams have started to learn how to resist the press a bit more. Even looking at Liverpool now, you look at Liverpool's pressing game now compared to what it was seventeen, eighteen when you would probably say it was at, at its peak. Um, in Do terms you think then it's winning. the case
1: of Guardiola's tactics being um, outdated now because everybody? I wouldn't say I,
2: wouldn't say I wouldn't say I wouldn't say outdated. I would just say teams have. Them out. I think, I wouldn't say that because if if you look at the time that Pep spent at, the, at his other clubs, um, most specifically Bayern Munich, is it's one of those that once he establishes his style of playing, other teams start to pick up little bits of it. When you start picking up little bits of it, you start to learn not only how to do it, but how to play against it. And exactly. I think what's happened is is the teams have become a little bit more press resistant. So yeah, his defensive policy still works to an extent, but teams are learning to play against it. And I think even now you look at Liverpool, and you, I, you can sort of see at why the likes of Liverpool have become a lot more a lot more slick on the ball, a lot more um, a lot more patient, and this, it's not necessarily. More just lose the, when you lose the ball. Counter press, counter press, counter press. That's still part of the game, but it's not not as prevalent as what it was seventeen, eighteen. Um, I think if you, if I was looking at a statistic from based on the last two seasons, so eighteen, nineteen, and nineteen twenty, and I think I believe Everton, Southampton, and. I think maybe Wolverhampton ranked above Liverpool for adjusted statistics for pressing.
0: Was it passes per defensive action by any chance?
2: I, I can't remember the exact one, um, but it tried to work um, adjust it to how much of the ball a team has. So obviously, a team with more possession is going to have less chances of the press, um, and so on. Um, but what it see what it seems to be is it's just teams have learned to press a bit, but press better and defend it a bit more. And I think this is something that Guardiola is going to have to look at. And it's not; tactics aren't outdated. They still, they are still. City is still a brilliant team, and even defense, defensively, yeah, the suspect. But in general play, is quite good, and their expected goals against is is still very good. Um. But I think it's one of those he's going to have to look at an alternative way to win him, to win him back the ball because at the minute the pressing is is becoming less and less effective.
0: Yeah, I seriously. And um, Chris has sorted his mic out again, so yeah, Chris. Well, what are your kind of thoughts on City in that big game? I would course? say
3: one of the biggest reasons for it being like for it declining so much since like the seventeen eighteen season, perhaps in eighteen nineteen, is the introduction of Rodri instead of Fernandinho. I think Fernandinho was one of their most important players for many years. He's a true ball winner. Obviously, I'd say
0: he was their most important player, not just one. I yeah, think I'd, I'd he was. I remember their in most player.
3: the 2018-19 season, we'd be literally hoping he wouldn't be playing. He wouldn't be in the lineup every week when we're going for the title because even past De Bruyne and players like that, he was one of their, He was literally probably their most important player.
1: And you can see his importance as well as. Um... In the season where they did not have Kevin de Bruyne, they still went on and won the title in record-breaking fashion, and you really do miss his influence in midfield because you, there is not a 34-year-old that you can find now in the in the game that can boss a midfield in the way that Fernandinho has, and that, I think that's what they're missing. They've they've replaced company uh, quite well in, in in the defense. They're still missing um, an Aguero replacement up top because Jesus does not seem like like the guy to be able to do it, but they do need that destroyer yeah. midfielder and Rodri's not that player. Rodri- I, not see that
0: player. I think I think I th- I think City went for the wrong Atletico midfielder. I think if they saw Thomas Partey he would have been much better than Rodri because Rodri is like he's just not mobile. He's so slow and he you know one they, someone was descri- described I think it was Simeone might but someone else he said someone about Atletico they said Rodri plays sideways parte plays a verticality party plays forward. I think Partey was just much better suited to what they needed. Yeah, than
2: um, Rodri. It used to be um one of so it used to be um Rodri and Eve um, one of Saul our parte um with Koke off to the right. So it sort of it was a bit it could float um the midfield could qu- float quite well. Um, but it was that sort of one was the more horizontal press resistant, very good at covering, whereas the other one was the one that could pick the ball up, could run with the ball, could break up play. Um, and because I, I think I think Rodri's he's he's a brilliant, a brilliant player, but I don't think he's that. He he's not that organizer. He's not that vo- that vocal man in midfield that Fernandino is. He's not the. And when you've got, he's not the yeah, player for that role. And when you look at City's, that um, going off. So Liverpool and City's ex- expected goals against in the last two seasons. Um, so Liverpool in both seasons, I believe have. Better defensive records, but have worse expected goals against. And what it sort of, what that seems to suggest is, is that cities is very much a it's about the unit. It's a very it's the defense is the unit. It's not an individual player. But then when you do miss these particular players, like your Laporte, like your Fernandinho, like you in. 1819, 19 your company, that organization starts to leave gaps. And they've not just lost company now. is not playing anywhere near as what he was, and Laporte's been injured a lot. So that it's sort of a bit haphazard the defence, and there's not that organization. Whereas Liverpool's is has that organization through the likes of Henderson van Dijk Fabinho, but they've also got this this very, very and I'll throw Allison in there, this very good individual quality where they just pull off the impossible. Like the um eighteen nineteen, um uh, was it Sosoko and um Son
0: yeah. were charging
2: at Van Dyke. Um, Van Dyke
0: covered Dijk. that pass really well, but I think yeah. I think that was mainly just down to so if any player on the team other than Sissoko would take that shot, then it's a goal. If
1: in any t- in any other player was there instead of Sissoko, then Van Dyke's positioning have would have chance. changed as well. He would not have let yeah. he would not have let him get that close to goal yeah. in that position. It's just he saw who was on the ball yeah. and he saw the, the threat of some yeah. behind him to cover the pass because yeah. he knew Sissoko wouldn't have done cool. anything with it.
2: Because City don't have this individual quality, um, other than Laporte and potentially Diaz. There's still, I think, still people is, is, is out on Diaz. Think.
1: Diaz looks like a class player. I'm not. Even he looks really happen. good, but
0: I um, wanted I to he... sign him ahead of Maguire in 2019.
1: Man, yeah. McGuire, don't even get me started on this call <laughs> out. Oh, uh, but anyway, um, talk uh, about it later, but, um, yeah, anyway, do we want to move on City... to Liverpool because this manager? Is yeah. I was I was gonna say, yeah, we need to
0: if we can wrap up and move like now we if we move on to Liverpool, so you yeah. guys beat Leicester 2-0 on the weekend. And it's 3-0.
2: Lost by the it? Yeah 3-0, yeah, my bad. It was So either
0: you you beat Leicester <laughs> on the weekend, however, yeah, you, yeah, it was 3-0, but you then lost 2-0 to Atalanta in midweek. So kind of what what changed, Tom?
1: ah oh, but I, I don't know what happened in that Atalanta result because it just seemed like from 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 the first five minutes, they just anything that we threw at them, it just didn't work because their pressing was so well organized. It just it, they looked like a completely different team than in Bergamo two weeks, three weeks back. And I don't know what it was. I can't pinpoint it down to a single reason. But on the ball, we just were not on it at all. And when it comes to them playing, they just played amazing around the press. They played into dangerous channels. And Papu Gomez, oh, man, what a player. He played so well. And I think, I think our downfall was giving him the space that he had to operate. And when he's got that space, when all of the attacks are going through him, we had to realize that he was the threat. And in shutting him down, we would have been able to shut the entire team down. But I think a lot of that, a lot of the blame has to go towards Klopp as well for that team selection because that team was not ready to play a team like Atalanta. I think it was a bit of naivety from Klopp in having one away 5-0, thinking that this would have been an easier game. And I think that might have been the mindset of some of the players as well, but they got on and they got absolutely outclassed.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, Chris, there was a lot of criticism for Nico Williams for his performance and just the performance in general. Could, could you give some kind
3: of insight? Well, oh, you, you should have asked me that question. I'm not even going to lie. I, I mean, I think it was a bang-average performance. And... Um, well, a collective bang average performance, and I find it a little bit exaggerated that he gets targeted because I'd say there was a lot more, there was bigger issues in the squad that would cause cause that results. Like I'd say, for example, not necessarily the quality of the players, but for like the front three, you have Salah, Rigi Mane, and I think that's a total wrong choice having Aregui with Salah and Mane because you've got you've got three runners in your front three, and like you know we'll have Firmino or we'll have Minamino or even Jota can kind of play the role, and we'll have someone dropping deep, so we become more compact. We don't just have you know, from free, and then a big gap, and then the midfield free.
1: Yeah, when it comes to that, we 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 bash on Firmino quite a bit, but you can see what the team misses when he's not on the pitch. Because if you've got the likes of Origi, he's just going to be sitting on the uh, in in between the two uh, opposition centre backs, and he's not going to be making that movement. All the movement will be in behind. And when you're missing Robo, you're missing Trent. You you don't really have creativity in midfield. And you're just hoping that something comes about. You're not. You're not going to get that with a when you've got Firmino in that team. He's going to drop in deep. He's going to. He's going to provide that link-up play so the team can move up as a unit rather than trying to dribble through the entire team.
0: Yeah, definitely, But As soon as you want to, Tom. Just, what would your thoughts on
2: Mika Williams?
1: I think it. It's 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 a troubling one because you can tell he's got the ability, but he lost possession 27 times that game. The closest to him was Mane with 18, 27 times within the matter of 90 minutes. And I think Trent, if we we look at Trent, I think um, on average a game, he gets around one possession lost per game in the eight games that he's played so far. So for him to get 27, for him to lose possession 27 times in one game... And that was that was kind of the the story of the game really, not just with Nico Williams, but just with the entire team in total. Because it was just wasteful possession, just giving away the ball to At- Atalanta. We could not just we couldn't string passes that looked dangerous. And I think, in part, that does have to do with Nico Williams, but it does also have to t- do with the team collectively. And I think that's where Firmino would have helped. And I think his substitution coming right after the goal was was just unfortunate because I think he, along with all the other players that came on, would have made a massive difference when it comes to the link of play that he offers.
0: Yeah. And see, I'm, I'm of the view that possession loss, doesn't matter when you're actually creating. So obviously, i watch Bruno Fernandes lose possession a lot for United, but I don't have a problem with it because a lot of the time he's, he actually creates. If you're just giving away possession by being an idiot, then like that's a problem. But if you're actually creating. But yeah, it just doesn't seem like Nico Williams really...
2: You look at so another, full, another full-back in the Premier League who is, by some considering, probably the second best after Robertson, which is Luca, Luca Dean. Um, he loses possession so many times. I think in the last two seasons, he's been up there in the Premier League for some of the highest amount of um, possession loss per game. But if you actually you look at Everton, it's the past few seasons he's been the prime creator for their goals. Well, he's, he's not, like when one.
1: it comes to Nico Williams, though, he does, he, he, yeah, he, and he looks to have that creative spark in Nico Williams. But other than a cross in the 90th minute for Devo Corrigi, you didn't see that against Atalanta, yeah. you just you saw him just needlessly give away possession,
2: yeah. And I think, yeah, I think Nico's
1: in this horrible position where
2: he's he's caught for one he's playing probably probably the best right back in the world at the minute certainly and if you're not' it's certainly one of them. Um, and but at the same time there is that so that there is that pressure because of how high the bars being set by Trent um but also the the pressure to actually, then come in and try and fill in for him whilst he's he's out injured. Is uh, that that just makes the pressure e- e- even more? And um, at nineteen year, years of age, it's it's rare a player hits the ground like the likes of Trented. And I think the fans just need to give him a bit of need to back off him a little bit and then
1: just see yeah. how
2: it, how it goes. Um, and, Chris, yeah. you're
1: the academy man when it comes to to Liverpool what do you think of that gap between the, the Premier League 2 and the Premier League when it comes to young players like Nico Williams
3: it's huge, yeah because even when he started he started playing for us at the start of last season and the season before he was playing under 18 football he hadn't even made the jump up yet so he was playing Premier League 2 for just a matter of months even and on top do- of that I, I think it's very tough for young players in general to break into our team because our fans tend to... A youngster has one or two decent performances, say in the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup, and they'll hype them to the absolute max. And then that, that, that youngster, you know, who's still a teenager, will naturally have a few bad performances. And then it's like, it's a complete reverse. They're just practically getting abuse because yeah. they're not performing to that same standard every single game. And I think our fans just struggle to understand that a player that young is not experienced enough and mature enough to be consistent with the performance of you.
1: Exactly. I think I people think... look at tr- sorry to cut you off again but I think people right. look at Trent and the way that he came into the team with basically being a nobody before he was introduced and coming in and playing like he did and creating the career that he's had so far and I think people expect Nico to do the same but we can't we can't judge a single player by the career path of another and I think that's the mistake that we're making It
0: took it it's... took Trent time as well I I didn't think he did well in 17-18, but he didn't truly hit his stride until 1819, and he made his debut against us. I remember 1617, but I think sometimes it really it takes time. Like at Premier League two level, you look for transferable qualities that take a player to the first team. It's all about development. It's all about developing these qualities, you know, positional yeah. discipline, you know, what yeah. you do right. off the ball, work rate, and you know what, right? It's rare for a player to really come in and do. And, and I'm gonna obviously I'm a United fan. <laughs> I'm a bit biased, but I, I, what I think. The best youngster in the league like the most promising league Mason Greenwood did and really just come in in the first full season at that age and just kind of hit the ground running and I think Greenwood just has that ability where no matter what he'd do well like
1: I think know. it also comes to the expectations of the team as well because at a team like United you're, you're, you don't really have high expectations for a league title in this particular season or last season, you're, you're just looking to get out of the rut that you're in. And I think that's why Trent didn't kind of get the same uh, treatment when he was coming through as Nico Williams did because we weren't at the stage where we were fighting for trophies like we are now fighting for the league title like we are now. So when it comes to winning the Premier League last season with 99 points and then having a Nico player like Nico Williams come through and not play at the level that Trent was playing at previously, you see the drop-off and you see how detrimental it is. And you also see the consequences of having a player that, is not up to, that you feel is not up to standard in the team. And you see that the consequence could be a loss of a couple games, like the loss against Atalanta, for example, being detrimental to your trophy hopes at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, it, when it comes to young players,
1: it's all about patience. But going
0: back to your performance against Leicester, so you won 3 0 in comfortable fashion. Obviously, the fullbacks just didn't seem up to it against Atalanta. But against Leicester, both of your obviously, James Moore was at right back, Andy Robertson was at left back. And, you know, James Moore, he's not a right back, but I think he's a really good makeshift there. And they both got assists. And it just, to me, it shows the importance of your fullbacks to your team. Like, They are your main source of creativity. And if your fullbacks aren't on it, you're going
1: to struggle. I was saying this in the game, like during the game as well. You can, you can just see that there isn't any creativity when it comes to Simicas and Nico on the right and the left, because we don't, we don't have that creativity in midfield because we played what? Jeannie Wijnaldum, uh, Curtis Jones and Milner, who are three water carriers in, in midfield doing all the dirty work. And, when you've got Salah and Mane, none of them dropping really deep in order to create, it's the onus is on the fullbacks. And when you don't have players like Trent or Robbo there to occupy the space for your forward players, you're going to struggle. And that's exactly what we saw against Atalanta. But when it comes to Milner, he knew just what spaces to occupy. And I, I have no clue how he did not start that game at right back. Milner, I think, I
0: think it, is a really useful player to have in the squad. He's just—he's so experienced, he's so intelligent, and he always puts in the shift.
2: I think also it comes—it's not just the, the issue of the full-backs comes back to, was it Chris? You meant was it Chris or Tom that mentioned about the free runners yeah, against played I mean, free free runners against Atalanta, whereas against Leicester. And Jota and Firmino started. One who's very, very good at just dropping off, pulling a player, just ne- neat little passes here, there, narrowing the play. And you've got another one who's not—he's uh, still a runner, but he's one of those that he has go at the opposition. He's a bit of a, a bit of like a fighter in, in, when when he's not got the ball, and he's a willing runner when he's not got it um and I think that took that that type of front three had a pro, is one sort of almost the ideal front three um but the, there wasn't any of that with um um with the um, against um
1: atalanta Chris um, what did you think I, of uh Divock's performance against atalanta
3: um, well, he's basically just non-existent. Just very lethargic on the ball, off the ball, just so slow, just no agency from him. Just...
1: I I heard, I heard someone describe it as um, Duvall's playing as if he's playing in his testimonial, and I think that summed it up absolutely perfectly. Because he was he, most of the time he was walking around. I can't I can't remember a single pass or a single stride that he made with the ball that was of note. If you're gonna be, if you're just... gonna
3: play. I'm oh, sorry. I think he's just lost his motivation. Like he doesn't even have the motivation to the point where you think, you know, I'm like, I'm seventh choice now. Should I go and look for
1: another club? Like I think he just, he just doesn't care. Do you think he ever had that though? Because I, I don't remember seeing any urgency from his play at all. Anyway, maybe, maybe back in like fifteen sixteen during that Europa League run. But ever since then, he just, he always looks like a passenger off the ball. Yeah. Definitely. After the injury, it just changed a lot. I don't know if it has to do with the injury or either, but as a united as a united fan what do you think about it from looking about, from the outside
0: about origi
1: yeah about about abridi yeah if you saw if you saw uh, a player I, like that at united what would you what would you think of it
0: i'd, I'd want to gone naturally but I, I i think like he scored some very important goals for you but and, and stuff But like football it's a results-based business if he's and you know it's performance as well and if he's Paul? not performing well he scored like in your 18-19 season he scored some crucial goals he obviously scored in the Champions League final he obviously had an amazing performance against Barcelona but that was dead this is now and it's clear that he's just not working for you guys now like I remember last season at Old Trafford we played you and uh, I think it was Salah who wasn't fit yeah it was Salah who wasn't fit so Origi had started he played a front three of Origi, Mane and Amino and I ju- your front free just didn't work the same and I just I just don't know where Origi really like fits and now that you've got Yotta who actually can fill in kind of anywhere across the front free like what's the need for Origi now you know,
1: I I never I'm not going to lie I I've never fell into the sentimentality of oh he won us the he won us the Champions League he was only in that position because of our key player being injured and he came in and he did a job like fair play to him but that performance against Barcelona is not going to be starting up top for you every game. The, the Champions League trophy is not going to be filling in a left back when you've got an injury, or it's not going to be filling in a striker when you, when you need to rotate. So um, yeah. I, 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 fall, I do not understand the sentimentality. It's like, oh, give him respect. He, he won the Champions League for us. Or they, they, they bring up the Champions League final goal when it, it, it's not the goal that won us the game. The, Salah's goal is what won us that game I really so I, I
0: sealed it I guess he didn't really win it it didn't really have much yeah he sealed the game. it it was
1: great I um, celebrated it like mad but it's
2: one of those you can't you can't let nostalgia um, rule your exactly. the club's decisions and it's like you don't see um, uh, what's his name his name's just gone up in the head the one that scored the Euro 2016 final and, uh, yeah and, uh, yeah you don't see you don't see Portugal calling him up time after time after time because he scored in a world Cup, uh, in a Euro- european championship final you don't it's they they call up it what's in the best interest of their, squ- their squad- their and a way to look at it is
1: he
2: he got an, a new contract on the base of what hand what probably four games
1: basically four or five yeah. games.
2: The Everton game, the Newcastle game, the one against Bars, Champions League final, and there's probably another one in
1: there. Yeah, um, but when it, when it comes to sentimentality and nostalgic clouding judgment, if it was up to that, we'd still be pro- we'd still be employing Sacco as one of our players. You'd you probably yeah. still
0: have Steven Gerrard, <laughs> 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 you know if football's a results based business at the end of the day. Look, exactly. I appreci- you can appreciate what he's done for you whilst accepting. He is not good enough anymore. Like yeah. it, 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 with Antonio Valencia when he left us in 1819, for example, like, you know what? I, it, he, was an, he was an excellent player for us at times. And actually, <laughs> excuse me, sorry. Um... You know, actually, 16, 17, and 17, 18, he was arguably—I don't want to say—arguably a world-class right back. But it was clear he declined. It was clear he wasn't good enough. And yes, he won Premier Leagues here. He went to Champions League final. He went to Champions League finals. He did a lot for this club. But it was clear to me to see he just wasn't good enough anymore. And you know what? I—I respect him for what he's done here. But at the end of the day, football's like I say, football's results-based. You've got—if a player isn't good enough, they are not good enough—and that's what it seems to be to me
2: with Arebi mm-hmm. and, well, and the th- cool. The thing is, is what is that the mentality is, wonderful. Like, I do understand that mentality because, look at the view towards like, of Dejan Lovren or Adran. It's clear as day; they're not, they're not good enough, and I'm probably right in saying most of the fans don't want the players. At, uh, they will. Now lovren has gone but obviously before then, wanted Lovren gone and want they want, want Adrian gone, who at the time at times had before arguably like Dejan Lovren scored one of the biggest goals in the clock clock era before the champion before the Barcelona game against Dortmund. But right after that there were still people that wanted him gone. And it's just one of those that there needs to be at the end of the day, yeah, football is also a business, but it's also a result, result-based result game. And then, too, coming in, if a player could be sold that isn't yes. going to do anything for the club, so it's generating funds that can be spent, spent elsewhere, but can also improve the squad at the same time, nostalgia should mean nothing.
1: Exactly. I just want to throw out a, 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 another topic. Um, when it comes to Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, Because when it comes to, like, we're talking about results. When it comes to the results that Arsenal are getting now with Arteta, I think Wenger was sacked for less than what's going on with Arteta. I think Unai Emery was sacked for less than what's going on with Arteta now. Well, same he, same situation.
0: Wenger had a clause in his contract where he got to cho- choose where he retired, but it so obviously he chose where he retired, but like you look at the kind of feeling around the club, the way they said Wenger out, the way they went about it. He was basically forced out. Exactly. Like, one, that's why I say sacked instead of Yeah, you know, and, and let's talk about Arsenal and, now and just how they've been. See, I personally rate Arteta, I saw promising him last season, but he needs players. But like, look at that score. Tonight, Alexander Lacazette, Captain Narson. Like, c- c- come on. He was We're playing. saying that He's- as
1: if they've not been back, though. They signed Nicolas Pepe for $72 million. They signed yeah. Thomas Partey for 52000000 they've got. million. They've been raving on about uh, Saliba coming in from St. Etienne, and now they're looking to send him back on loan again. It, it's, not, it's not a factor of not being backed because he has been backed. The managers have been, back. Unai been Amory backed. Unai Amri was backed.
0: But I think he needs to be backed even further when you look at the kind of the state of the squad he's dealing with. And you know what, right? Yeah, let's talk about Nicola Pepe now. And that red card, like, he just, it was, it was stupid, to be honest. Like, I, I, I don't know why he did that.
1: But... He, he thought it was a Dan for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, thought he but... you thought it was that guy. But you, you're not that guy. I, I saw yeah, someone no. say the apology needs to be as strong as a disrespect when it comes to Nicolas Pepe and I think when it comes down what to that done, decision though? like they, they, it was so needless it was the most needless thing I've ever seen
0: yeah and and you know the thing is right, I, I see ability in Nicolas Pepe I see a player in there you know what I actually like I, I quite like him but he just hasn't performed for Arsenal like Chris do you even think
3: do you think he's got any kind of future there um I think he'll have the rest of this season and I think he'd probably go back to France or maybe Italy because I think, obviously, in his last season with Lille, he got 22 goals, but 10 were penalties. So I think for a start, that's kind of, you know, selling you something that you're never going to get in the Premier League.
1: I think he's I mean, more with the, of, with the penalties now, you you might be getting it, but he's not the main penalty taker at Arsenal yeah.
3: either. Yeah, but exactly even
1: yes. then, buddy,
3: 12 non-penalty goals in the league doesn't look too good, I'd say. And they need goals from. Him.
0: I mean, I, I think he was fantastic this season, but just he he just he doesn't seem to fit what Arteta needs, and in his right winger. And you know what? If Arsenal get rid of him in January, they'd probably be smart to do so. Stick Saka on the right wing because Saka, you know, I trust him to perform there more than I do Pepe right now. Saka, yeah, he's a really high quality player. He's versatile. He's really intelligent. He can adapt to that role well. He'll offer kind of creativity. He can solve problems and. He just he offers that innovativeness that Arsenal are lacking in. That that to me is the main issue. Arsenal, you know, they people say they have such a robotic style of play, but they really like, apart from Meza, Ozil, and Bukayo Saka, who can really make something happen out of nothing. And Ozil isn't even being played right now. You know, he's not even in, he's not even been listed on the squad. He's been
1: completely. He's not posted. even in discussion. But when, when it comes him. to talking about selling Nicolas Pepe, that's not, that's not something that's going to be easy at all to do. And I don't I think guess. it's going to be something that's going to happen in January at all, let alone at the end of the season. Because I don't think a 72 million pound player is going to be sold as easy as we think it might happen. Because I don't okay. think he's getting sold anytime soon. Knowing how stingy Arsenal are, when it comes to their transfer strategy, they've they've got a history of it. So cutting their losses on a player that they spent seventy two million for, I don't think he's even worth thirty at this point. Not,
2: not to mention yeah. the financial fair play situation for clubs mm-hmm. in the likes of Italy, France, and even part of the parts of the Premier League. The, it's they're not going to be able to afford it.
1: Exactly, unless
0: Arsenal sell at a massive cut price. In- they, they step yeah. up and say, okay. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that at all. They're not going to do that. And that's just crunky and, you know, American owners in general.
1: I mean, we say that, but um, Barcelona are having quite a bit of struggle when it comes to Coutinho as well. I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal sent him out on loan next season in order to have his wages covered. Because I, I don't know what he's on. I think he's around 200K, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, or 175 He's so, on lot, so, Sorry to interrupt. So, Braga and Leicester.
2: Braga score a 90th-minute
1: winner. Yeah, I was watching that. 95th-minute Vardy minutes goal.
2: And later, Vardy equalizes.
1: That was, that's mental for them. I was Woo! watching that game, but... That's crazy. And Leicester... It just,
0: it, uh, actually,
1: yeah. sorry, Tom, go ahead. I, I, I was just...
0: Yeah, I, I, just, I just wanted to say... Um, let, can Leicester win the Europa League this season? They've started off really strongly in the Premier League. If their players can stay fit and they keep playing the way they play, and I think, yeah, I said a couple of weeks ago that injuries are a lot of the reason why they declined last season so badly. But if they, if they can stay fit, like, can Leicester
2: actually go on and can
0: they do it? Not can if you're conceding
1: goals? three goals to Braga. No, no chance. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think they're in there. I think the likes of they're De- they're in there. Milan are in there. Spurs are in there.
1: and She's dad, in there. Um, yeah,
2: so she I think her, Spurs
1: yeah. have got a real but chance to win it. This I season. think
2: mm. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the clubs that drop from
1: the yeah. cha- from the Champions
2: League. <laughs> oh, so- sorry, my Apple Watch just sounds to be um, <laughs> Siri.
1: Just- Siri just loves you too much, yeah. man. That's what it is. But like, there's
2: there's a risk that the likes of Atleti could drop out with um, the Champions League if results. If it's unlikely, but if the results swing the wrong way, it's possible Atleti could be playing in the Europa League. So you do have to see who could drop. But as it stands now, I think Leicester are quite are looking quite the contenders. I would not say the who I'd say the favourites. I would put that to even. Spurs or Milan based on their league form but I think they're still up there yeah
1: Hey when it comes to I... 90 minute games every, any team's got a chance of going through yep. and going through on a Definitely. run but when it comes to the favourites I think the favourites at this point have got to be Spurs with the way that they're playing Oh yeah 100% and I think
0: record. actually exactly. in this competition he won it with United obviously three years ago
1: and I, I and I think winning a trophy with Spurs is something that both the squad and Mourinho needs desperately.
0: Yeah, I, they, I
1: think coming off of the high of the Champions League final and losing there and having the season that they had last season, I think they they need they desperately need that to cling on to and build off of. I agree completely.
0: Now um See, I think an underwriter of a real associate that they've done a fantastic job in La Liga this season. And, you know, there's a, there's really, there's a
2: few teams that could make a
0: push at it. Uh, you know, and then the team's obviously dropping down from the Champions League. So at the moment, I, you know, if if Red Bull Salzburg drop down, it, obviously it depends on Dominique Schaboschle leaving in January. And I think he's a real, real talent. Like, you know, he's definitely one of the best young players in the world. But if they can keep him for the end of the end
1: you know if sorry team, like, yeah you're going you're cutting out quite a bit boss oh, sorry um my bad
0: uh yeah so while saying dominique shabosh like like if like if i'm surprised Salzburg you were able to pronounce
1: him, that first time
0: i'm not even sure it's 100 correct
1: but <laughs> it's closer I, than I'd, think, I'd ever get mate i think but yeah if if, if salzberg can keep
0: him and drop down they've got a shot because you know what, jesse marsh is a really He's a tidy
1: coach. He's a tidy manager.
0: He's playing some good football. I think in a few years he'll be. We'll see him at a top European club. If a team like, you know, for example, Atalanta drop down, if, you know, again,
1: like PSG or
0: RB Leipzig drop down, they're all they're all chances. The Europa League looks really competitive this year.
1: There's also always there's also currently the risk, which I find quite funny of. Real Madrid dropping down into that third place spot (laughs) because they're 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 playing against Shakhtar away in their next match and after that they play Monchengladbach away I believe in their final game and they're currently sat in second place and I think two points above oh sorry they play Monchengladbach at home but they're sat three points oh is that three points yeah three points above Shakhtar so if they they end up dropping points in any of those games we could see a club like real madrid um, in the europa league see it. i i
0: shakhtar's it's
2: plausible as well
0: i'd exactly. say it's quite
2: plausible as well given the the results against in the league against Villarreal and and valencia but also the the previous result against shakhtar which was a 3-2 loss so i yeah, think and that is drew against
1: munich back
2: as well I just can't yep. see it happening. Like,
0: I, obviously, Shaq, Real Madrid's goal difference currently is two, and Shaq does is minus nine. Obviously, because they've got hammered both times by
1: Borussia Monchengladbach. But but isn't it I, head I to just, head in the Champions League anyway? So if Shaq don't end up beating so. them again, yeah. But
0: I just I just can't see it being Real Madrid. I just you know it's the Champions League. It's the competition we associate them with. I just I think they'll turn up and get it done.
1: You never know, though. You never know. If you never we've know. Seen, it. It we, would be, we've seen weirder things happen, like Liverpool coming really back from three 0 down. We've seen an eight really two result for Bayern Munich against Barcelona. So anything is possible. <gasps> Man, I, I just say, I just, I just think that would be absolutely hilarious.
0: Oh yeah, it'd be really funny, but then it'd be interesting how they do in the Europa League. Now, um, talking about uh, Manchester United, we obviously we beat West Brom in. Somewhat controversial fashion, It was not that tidy. Somewhat. And I've, I've, I've got a, yeah, it was fairly controversial. Obviously, Bruno had a penalty which he gave away, which was ruled up for VAR. And that, there was there was a bit of murkiness regarding that decision. And then he retook a penalty. And, and for me, the, the retake, that's not. The
1: retake was completely fine. I had no issue fine. with that.
0: Obviously, if a, if a keeper's off his line, the keeper's off his line. Then Sam Johnston tweeted, a player shouldn't be allowed to do his little jump thing, but let's like a penalty is supposed to be an advantage for an a, attacker. The attacking team needs the advantage in that situation. I don't see a problem with his jump, but
1: like, I I'd, I disagree as a goalkeeper myself because I think I think that rule should be amended because you've already got a free chance to score a goal. Why why give the attacker the opportunity to increase his chances in scoring? You've already got a, basically a high high chance of scoring that penalty. And in doing that little jump, you you raise your percentage even more. So, if you're going to limit the goalkeeper to stay on his line, you got to limit that jump as well.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's it's a really subjective topic. But I just, yeah. Like, but like, like it, I said, it, by I think... the
1: rules, that was that was a clear cut retake. There's no issues about it, and I, I don't think Not West right. Brom's claim for the penalty was a strong one either.
0: Now, yeah, see, I think. It wasn't a strong claim. I, I think he's lucky to get away with it. But again, it's... I, it's one I, of those I'm that sure. if it was
1: given, it wouldn't have been overturned. It's yeah. one of those once again.
0: Yeah, definitely. I just... It, it it was a really kind of tight... It's a subjective decision, but I think, I think he's got... I think it's not a penalty, but he's lucky for it not to be given as a penalty knowing what the rules are in
3: football. And Chris, like, what was your thoughts on that? Um, well, there's, there's clearly contact. It's one of them situations where you can say, you know, you're you given the ref a decision to make. Like, you're taking a risk. I wouldn't yeah. say it's, you know, indefinitely a foul, but... I mean, like, I was unhappy about the way he
0: challenged anyway. Like, I didn't see a need for him to really go in at all, much less go in the way he did, I think. That's, that's oh, yeah, what makes it lucky. A... That's what makes it lucky for him to get away with, for me. Like, I just... I. I, I love Bruno Fernandez a lot, but that I, I I was not happy
1: with him for that, and, and I think he, he's lucky, like like I said. But yeah, but I think the contact was was like it was it was high on the shin. So in seeing that, I didn't see enough contact for him to fall over forwards, because there wasn't yeah, a buckling and- of the feet. He was he was looking for it there, and I don't I don't think that's something that should be given at all. But when it comes to the rules that we've got currently, if that was a penalty that was given originally by the referee, by the clear and obvious rule, it's not something that would have been overturned at all. Yeah, So it's, it's, it's something to do with the rules, and I, I don't get it. I don't no, get I think it's no just consistency with it.
3: He knows if he doesn't go down, he's never getting a penalty. So any exactly. player nowadays, i the film in the slightest bit of contact, and they're going down because they know, they know they can get packs of pieces and stay stood, and they won't get a penalty. And they, exactly.
0: can, and they also know you can swarm a referee force him <laughs> to go take a look at the yeah. and yeah. when he looks at the he might think okay i've changed my mind
1: you know players, I and i I, know. I really like the fact that they're actually using the monitors that have been placed in now even yeah. even if it's if it's clear clear cut not a penalty just just go over there and sell it like just go over there and sell it instead of having your your finger up to your ear listening to a microphone and 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 the public don't know what's going on there, and that nothing's ever been publicized. Especially for that uh, that two two against Everton, we've as a club Liverpool have asked all of it to be released, and there's still nothing being done there either. <laughs> so I, 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 I like the fact that they're they're selling it by going over to the monitors. That that yeah. makes a big difference.
2: I, I what are you for? Some players swarming um, the referee to try and pressure decision stuff but, um, on VAR.
0: I think it's necessary. I think yeah. You know, when you've yeah. you
1: got clueless referees, yep. And, and, and I, think I said cause...
0: this in the first leg of our game against PSG in 2019. I said I. I what one thing I noticed was they were fouling us so much. Kim Pem should have been sent off by half time, like. But every that. single time yep. they, every single time they fouled, our players weren't swarming the referees. Only someone like Ander Herrera maybe, and obviously like we know what Anda is like. <laughs> but I mean, he was swarming referees and I, I, I noticed every single time for the smallest bit of contact on them, even if there wasn't anything, their players were hounding the referee and I said, Look, we need to get smarter. I noticed Pog- it, I noticed Pogba ended, about ended. it.
1: Didn't
2: Pogba, Pogba got sent off that much, didn't he? He got he got a second yellow at the end and it was a very, yeah. very light.
1: And I I think one of like the off. biggest um examples of that was the home game against Liverpool's home game against Manchester United last season when Firmino and De Gea went up for that ball. Or not Firmino, I don't remember who it was exactly. When they won, both went up for that. Uh, yeah, Van it was Dijk. Van Dyke exactly. Both went up for that ball. Wasn't given, Firmino scored and VAR ruled it out because of the outrage from De Gea and your defenders there. Yeah, I, yeah. Still, I still yeah, maintained Everton. that that was not a foul, but it was the reaction Ooh. that warranted it. Look at
2: Everton's last minute winner against United with where Sigurdsson was on the ground, um out of play. Um he was down injured and Everton scored and then just you just seeing it click and all the United United players were um surrounding. Was it Chris Kavanagh? And that that sort of I think that because of the nature of the VAR and how easy referees are to uh, how much the bend to pressure, it's becoming a necessity within the game. And when I see people complain about it, but when but they complain about it when other teams do it, but then they complain when their own team doesn't do it. But I think know, that's just that's just
0: got to have to that's do just, with that's
1: just football, that's like, just bias. That's just know, bias.
0: It's it's yeah, it's it's just how football fans work. And you know what, yeah, I do think that the was found, but the fact that we swarmed the referee completely. Is what changed that, and you know, it makes an impact. You know, it it, 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 does it needs to be impact, done. Yes, and I think it, it, you know what we need to. We just we need, but we need, we need to
1: better. We need we need the accountability. Need they need accountability, and that's what Liverpool was asking for after that after the Merseyside derby, and we still haven't gotten that. We've asked, th- I think it was three questions. One of the questions was the discussion in the VAR room being released. To the club, not been happened. We asked clarification on where the line was drawn on Virgil van Dijk's arm when it comes to that first offside, I think it was offside decision?
0: And when
1: it comes to Mane, where the line was drawn there. And none of those three questions were answered by the Premier League. And we need accountability Uh, there. I think Uh, something that needs to happen is
2: referees need to be interviewed after the game. I think that's something that needs to happen because if they're put in front of a reporter and asked to explain t- decisions, I think there'll be a lot more transparency between the club's fans and the referee. I completely agree.
0: And yeah, just, but no, those lines for Mane, that was, Mane, that was ridiculous. Like, I, even as a United fan, you got robbed there, but I just, I saw those lines. Mm. I was I was laughing on the floor to the point I couldn't breathe. Like
1: it was it was just it, hilarious it was ridiculous. how how
0: terrible the decision was. And just...
1: it I I feel so glad that I was not watching that game live. I had to I had to I had to be coaching. I I work as a coach, so I was coaching during that time, and I was keeping up with it uh through my Apple Watch getting the notifications, and I got the notification that we scored the goal, and I saw that it was Jordan Henderson, and I was going mental, and then ten minutes later. I look at my watch and I see that the game's ended 2-2 and I was absolutely fuming. And I'm like okay, if it's if it's justified it's justified, if it's been ruled out for something clear, fine. I go home, I watch the game over and I just sit there for an hour just in silence. Yeah. Anyways, rage.
0: Anyway, just to fi- obviously United we picked up a big win and Bruno Fernandes is unplayable right now. And to to preview the weekend all right, do United play Southampton on Sunday? All right, do, do, what, do we think his form will continue? Do we think United are going to win? They'll
3: score a penalty.
1: <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get a penalty or two, yeah. and it'll end up as a win for you. But I'd, I'd, I'd like to see you guys on the receiving end of one of the penalties that you got. I'd mm-hmm. love to see that. that.
0: Uh, it'd be interesting to see the reactions. Exactly. Uh, that,
1: the, just, and, just for that reason.
0: And quickly, Tom, before you before you go, uh, Brighton Liverpool was your kind of I I think comfortable win for you guys.
1: I don't think it's going to be comfortable at all. I think it's going to be nervy, but I think there's going to be a reaction from the team that we didn't see against Atalanta. I think we got too comfortable after that Leicester result, and losing to Atalanta at home would be is something that's going to spark a reaction from the team. I'm hoping to spark a reaction from the team, so I hope that it's going to end up. As a win for us, but I don't think it's going to be a comfortable one by any means.
0: Yeah, that that's, that's fair.
1: And Adam, Chris, would you, would you both kind of agree with Tom there?
2: Yeah, I I, th- I think it's going to be um, there will be a reaction, but it's even the games against uh, against Brighton last season was a nervy game. With that, um, who was it who scored? Was it Dunk with that free kick?
0: Yeah, that really kind of cleverly taken free-kick, actually, I thought. Uh,
2: but, yeah, I think I think an interesting game will probably be City and Burnley.
0: Yeah, see, because Burnley are a team who
2: kind of sit off and
0: we're, we're, we've seen City struggle against that kind of team in recent times. So, like, but we'll have to see. But, you know, I, th- I think City... I, I think City will narrowly win. I think someone like Kevin De Bruyne will produce a, a game winning moment. Everton Leeds is a, a game which kind of yeah,
2: I well, think is interesting. Uh, well with Luke Luca Dean being being injured and you'll see probably see you Niels know, and Kunku you come in who looks by all accounts a very, very great talent, but that's like that's two of Everton's main players out, Coleman and Luca Dean. Yeah. And um it's well, so. so that's the two sides, like John Joe Kenny is he's not a particularly impressive fullback. It mm-hmm. Iwobi's been playing as a wing back instead because he's not a particularly great and because Kenny's not a particularly great player. But that could be interesting because it's you've got a very a very, very, very smart manager in Bielsa, but Ancelotti's sure probably the the best managers during our, our generation anyway.
0: Ancelotti to
2: me so, is the greatest managers
0: of all time. I think. I think he does not get enough respect. You know, he is he is truly fantastic and he's still got it. I think he'll yeah. work something out. But um yeah, Chris, so like your thoughts on kind of those two games, like what you think will kind of be the outcome.
2: Um I honestly I could I could see Leeds beating Everton. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me Whatsoever
0: it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me either And yeah Then obviously a big one is Chelsea Spurs So both teams have started this season strong Chelsea obviously won last weekend they won in midweek, they are doing well But Mourinho's team Just looks so strong, and Mourinho We know his history with Chelsea We know kind of the last time he played them It kind of, It kind of got a bit fiery At the end And but the last time he. Oh, wait, yeah. But that was last. That was for United. Then obviously he's beaten them. But no, he's not actually. So. Yeah, so we know he's been beaten by them both times last season that he played them. But, you know, Camarillo really beat him this time now that he's got a better squad, now that he's got. He's on a roll. But will Lam, will Lampard upclass him again?
2: I think I think there is a bit of there is still quite a naivety to Lampard, which now Mourinho started to get settled because I think Mourinho now knows who who who's his best eleven and it's a best eleven which is in his very image strong. now. A very strong and the the fullback's in his image, he's got and gameplay and how he wants them to play. hoiberg has been a he's been an absolute revelation in that midfield. Um, fortunately for Mourinho as you can see by the Spurs documentary, it's not worked out with um, Deli Alli but he's still been able to get what he wants from this team minus it going wrong with Deli Alli but I think with Lampard there is this naivety where he's because he's not been in management that long, there will be times where he doesn't know how to react to certain situations or pla- doesn't plan particularly well. And it has been seen on occasion this season. But then again, he was dealing originally with Kepa, but um, now with Mendy. And Tiago Silva improving that. Thiago like. silver. Thiago Silva. We look at the difference with in Kurt Zuma, who is, in my opinion, one of the... In terms of the top six, one of the most erratic centre-halves in the top six and how well he's been playing alongside Thiago Silva
0: well he's got confidence from the fact that he's got um, in my opinion one of on the best centre-backs of the last decade next to him who is a leader yeah. and Chris I'm sure you echo that sentiment
3: yeah definitely and, well it's obviously Thiago Silva right now is not the level of a Van Dyke, but it's the similar effect you see on Gomez and Matip. Like, yeah. I reckon you could put Timordi you could put Christensen there it'd be, it'd be the same results, the player next to such an experienced defender who's going to carry them through games Hundred percent. And do you what who what do you think? Chelsea or Spurs? Who do you reckon's winning? Spurs. I just think Kane and Son on the momentum. Yeah, I, Spurs I just I don't see how
0: you can stop them right now, Kane and Son.
3: I think Kane dictates the game pretty much when, when Spurs are in possession, he's dropping deep, especially if Chelsea play Jorginho. I just think Kane will just be a walk in the park for him, really. Kane, Kane will
0: dominate Jorginho as as you know, it's, it's not hard to do so. He'll he just picks him.
3: apart defences just so easily.
0: Yeah, he's, he's truly fantastic. Anyways, that's it for this week, guys. Thank you for joining me, and we'll see you guys next week.